This episode of Roderick on the Line is sponsored by Cards Against Humanity. This month, they invited Seth Boyer to help me say hi to John. Keep moving and get out the way. Hello. Hi, John. Hi, Berlin. How's it going? Pretty good. You sound like a congested Jello Biafra. Uh, MC Blowfish. And Diane fucking Dragon Lady Feinstein. <laughs> I don't know what's going on with me. I was up until 4.30 in the morning last night, and then I, uh, I've i reverted immediately to type, right? <laughs> my my people are all in France, and it took me three days to just like completely... <laughs> completely revert yeah that's it that's all it took mm-hmm. 4 30 in the morning but now it seems to me that yeah, yeah on the one hand it is your natural predilection to be a night owl but on the other hand the thing mm-hmm. that brings the night owlness out in you is some kind of an interest often online were, were you drawn to that were you sorting things what what uh, kept you up i was balancing angels okay on the head of a pin. Oh, that's so nice. And then I was balancing the entire contraption on the tip of my finger. Mm. So, it's angels all the way down. That's right. So if you get to, that's very right. So if you can imagine, it's kind of a Teatro Zinzani. It's a little bit of a circus circus. <laughs> soleil de Soleil. Mm-hmm. Man so de Soleil got, for the Saint Tropez tan. It's got it's a it's a uh, flying Karamazov brothers mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of angels, mm. tiny angels. <laughs> it's like a heavenly flea circus. Mm, mm-hmm. That's precisely what it is. I'd pay that, for that. You know, I, that's when people when people would say, "How many angels can you balance on the head of a pin?" I would always imagine it just like a flea circus. I, I don't know why a, you don't just say all of them. That seems like sure. if that was the Google interview question, I would just say all of them. All of them. Yeah. What do you like, mean? Pr- how like, many? Prove me wrong. <laughs> Show your math. Every angel. All the angels. Even all the, the great angels. Even the late angel, the, the, the chubby angel that's always late. I'm sorry. He's going to come huffing and puffing up the stairs. <laughs> and he gets on there too. Sorry, boss. <laughs> angel. Angel. Ah! I'll have your badge. I was going to ask you how life without the family. I think I mentioned probably after we stopped recording last time. I can't recall, but just how I descend usually within less than 36 hours into a nearly feral state. Yeah, that was part of the uh, Roderick on the line after dark. After dark. That we always uh, don't record. That's right. We're just doing shots and talking about life. Just talking about life. Some of the funniest stuff, some of the most amazing bits. Oh, my gosh. We have fun, don't we? Boy, we really do. We get in there. We talk about, Uh, we got religion. You got feminism. All the stuff that we can't talk about on the program. Ron Paul revolution. Woo! Woo! It's all in there. Yeah, you, I mean, I have seen you get uh, turn into a feral dog so fast, <laughs> faster than almost any other person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, if you if you are not like actually literally being shaved, <laughs> like restrained at, at some kind of a clinic. Well, just like it, as you are shaving one part of you, the other part is bursting forth with like you know Wolverine well, style. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Bristle. Here's the mm-hmm, mm, here's the thing about that is that I am less 
of a totally distracted basket case than I have been at other times in my life, but I am still a very distractible basket case. So, you know, it's, it, it, you see me in your home. Like I come in and I've got a little bag of stuff and pretty soon the stuff is everywhere and I can't find anything. I don't know how to feed myself anymore. I get, I get very confused very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's a, it's delightful. It's yeah. what makes it's it's a great affect to have at a bar, right? When you when I see you come into a bar and you, you spread your stuff all around, nah, nah, nah. Nice try. I stand by the door with everything in my bag. The bag is zipped up, and I am no more than three paces from the door at all Pretty times. Pretty soon, you're standing on a bar stool. The yeah. bar the bartender is is. Uh, is, is becomes a lifelong friend. I make oh that's that's true. I make Malcolm X look like Grandma Moses. I am ready to get out anywhere very quickly. I I am I'm kind of a little bit famous for this. I think is that, I've heard it called the, I've heard it called the French exit. I've heard it called the Irish exit. I'm not sure what kind of exit it is, but I don't like taking a long time to leave somewhere. So whereas I will spread out in a hotel room or your home in that little special secret room uh, under the stairs, I will, <laughs> like Harry Potter sleeping in John's house, I will keep all of my stuff ready. I am always waiting for the opportunity to leave anywhere all the time. That's well, it's it's why I always imagined that that backpack was actually a parachute. It, part of it is. Like can't a say what the rest. Shoot. Can't say what the rest is. Uh, and I know you like to be the last person to dive onto the plane or the last person to dive off of the Muni train. I've seen this. You, I used to think you were making it up, but it's true. You stand dead still, and I'm like, John, it's our stop. And you're like, kind of, kind of like barely moving your head, shaking your head, going, mm-mm, mm-mm. like, don't even acknowledge that we're together. This could be used against us later. And then, boom! You got to get through that door at the last possible second. Because, that, why? Because, yeah, because reasons. Because reasons. Because uh, privacy secrecy. Uh, now, that, that's tail. bitten you uh, in your behind a couple times in the last couple years, hasn't it? Didn't you miss I, a flight recently because of that? You know what? I missed a couple of flights, and what happened was the airline industry keeps changing the rules. It keeps moving the goalposts. Mm. So they started doing this thing where they're like, "Well, if you're not, you know, the the flight leaves at seven forty, but the doors close at seven twenty. Yep. And it's like, well, what? what then the flight leaves at seven twenty. Yeah. No, no, the flight leaves at seven forty. But the doors, and I'm like, well, no. That's the, not on the ticket, dude. The there's, flight there's leaves no doors, the doors closing closed. printed on the ticket. Right. I've been on plenty of flights that left at 740 where the doors closed at 740. And then the plane sat at the airport for another hour and a half. Mm-hmm. So let's not fuck around with like the flight leaves. It's when the doors close is when the flight leaves. So, yeah, I'm sitting in the, sitting in the airport, looking around, enjoying myself, cleaning my nails. Yes. Scanning for uh, people in sandals. That's right. That's right. Making sure that the that there's not some screaming baby issuing citations. Um, a little, you know, a little bit. Yeah, you, you want to make sure. The thing about a specter agent mm-hmm. is that you're going to be able to pick that specter agent out, not by their own behavior, but how they react to your behavior. Mm. Hmm. And then all of a sudden, I look up and the door is closed. Yeah, that's not and right. I, wa- I walk over and I'm like, hey, uh, I'm on this flight. And they're like, not anymore. Mm-mm. Good luck finding somebody. I'm off. I, yeah, right. I, I bet there's reasons for this. I bet. I, I think I know two things about this, uh, kind of. I know that an airplane only makes money when it's in the air. And I know that there's a lot of pressure. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of pressure on the whole flight crew to keep their delays down. Because it, it looks bad to the company and it looks bad to the public. When you go look something up online, they got records on this stuff, right? Yeah, they got records. I sent you that, that link to that that uh, that amazing website where you can watch real time flight information. 
Like, you oh, know, yeah, yeah. that's all that publicly is... exposed. So you can go in and see, hey, this, this, this flight from San Francisco to Portland is, uh, is late, you know, 14% of the time or something. Yeah. So I'll bet that's it. It's, I bet it's also that maybe there's something that makes them look better. They get everybody packed into the uh, fart tube quicker, and that looks better on their quarterly report. Maybe so. I am incapable, like a lot of people my generation, and I and I don't, you know, I won't lump you in to my generation. Lump me, lump me. You know, yeah. you know, you're 18 months older than me or something. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> older than that. <laughs> but I find that I am now constitutionally incapable of having any sympathy or even like uh, certainly no commiser- commis- commiseration, but also like no even like shared understanding with anyone in the airline industry, right? I cannot even, if, if all the facts are there, if it's all laid out, like, oh, this makes perfect sense. I cannot sympathize with them because they are, because it seems to me that they have all agreed that their business model relies on torturing people for uh, for money. It's, a, it, it's become a, it's funny because it's not like they didn't want to make money 50 years ago, right. uh, but for a variety of reasons that are too lengthy to get into, today it is a naturally, necessarily adversarial relationship with a lot of gotchas. And like anything, when you reach a certain age, you're always wondering who's trying to fuck you. Like yeah. who, who's going to screw me today? And like, what should I be looking for? And in the airline industry, I mean, that is real. It is totally real. They're going to do as little as possible for you with as few resources as possible and find as many things as they can to try charge for because that's just the way the industry works and to act like it's anything else and talk about things like loyalty like loyalty really what's your loyalty to me i can't find yeah. anybody to talk to to get my family on a plane yeah well and and, the, and more than any other more than any other thing in the in the contemporary world they have a they have adopted the idea that seniority by which they mean this strange loyalty thing that you're talking about like the more money that you pay to us, the more opportunities we're going to give you to opt out of being waterboarded. Yeah. And, and without that, uh, w- without that, uh, that buy-in, your only other option is to pay a usurious fee, you know, to pay $2,500 for a ticket. Right. And like at the, at the middling levels of that seniority, you mainly get the opportunity to pay slightly less to be waterboarded but you're still to not be waterboarded but you're still going to pay yeah you're still gonna you're still gonna sit in in a uh, in an iron maiden while we like piss in your mouth so the only way mm, hmm Mm. (laughs) that sounds very sounds like sounds like lufthansa (laughs) the (laughs) actually it's called uh it's called uh what was the one one that crashed in the in in the alps the guy decided that he wanted oh, right. to die he said i'm done i'm done it's here not, it's not easy jet it was uh fly it was F- uh, fly flies and scheisse <laughs> like flies Luf- on scheisse yeah it was luftscheisse <laughs> luftscheisse but you're you're absolutely right and the and the only way that happens is deliberate like we're gonna i mean and it's it's a total win for them you get a lighter narrower seat so you can put more people into the into the fart tube, oh. and then you charge them to basically to be in a seat that is that is not deliberately uncomfortable. Oh. And then with the leaning back, oh, the leaning well, back. Well, no, the thing was, you know, they they used all that after nine eleven. Gas prices went crazy. You know, they 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 made all those modifications and justified them at the time because gas was so expensive that they couldn't possibly profit anymore. And so they had to do this. They were being forced to do this by by economics. They were being forced to do this by the market. There was no other way. Airlines were – the whole idea of flying 
was going to disappear from our minds because of because gas prices had made it had made it impossible. And then when gas prices went down again, they did not it was not like these are emergency measures and we're going to repeal them as soon as this this national crisis is over. Like when gas prices went down, they continued it continued on that on that uh, on that arc, just like oh wow, we figured out that we can take away all the padding from the seats, and people still fly. What would happen if we put a dead rat in every fourth seat under the padding? Would people still fly? It appears they do. Right. What would happen if we put a hat pin in? Every fifteenth armrest. Wow, people! Let's put one in every armrest. Well, let's, be, let's be honest. Fly. Gas prices were pretty expensive, so hat pins. Hat pins, right? Let's take. Let's make sure. Let's let's make it impossible to check a bag, and and then it turns into a kind of like World War Z on every airplane as people try to cram their luggage in the overhead compartments, which used to that you know overhead compartments you used to be able to. Uh, you you could have a skateboarding competition in them. Mostly, they were empty because people now people are bringing two underneath. bags and a sousaphone because they don't want to spend fifteen dollars, and uh, they're happy to they're happy to charge you for that. Yeah. So then the airlines then it then it takes forty five minutes to board instead of fifteen minutes to board, and then they're like, oh boy, we're running out of well, you know it takes too long to board. So now the doors close twenty minutes. That's before the that's flight to me off. the huge question mark is well, first of all, you have the the human problem of. Well, the human and business problem of there are more and more people traveling who are bringing big things on. Every extra thing that somebody brings on there, I think, has a geometric contribution to how long it takes. And people don't understand, like, get the fuck out of the aisle. Get out of the aisle. Spend no time in the aisle unless you are moving. Move, move, move. move. Okay, they don't get that. But then I don't understand. I think this has been experimented with on various airlines. But the way these planes board is bananas. Why? Well, first of all, there's no, like, seeming science to, like, figuring out how to load from the back first. And there's also then the financial component of, hey, it's not, it's not going to be fair to all those, uh, all those seniority people to let the people in the back of the plane get on first. Right, they have because to be. You want to spend as much time on the plane as you possibly well, can. Well, you might be, uh, you know, active military service in uniform, platinum, gold, silver, plus international, hundred k, with a child that needs extra time. Right, right, right. So, I mean, it's it's so funny when I sometimes, uh, like, recently on a flight, it was an easy flight to Portland not too long ago, and I was in seating group two because so, so I was in like United, you know, plus or whatever. Mm-hmm. We get the slightly bigger chair, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, you get priority boarding. <laughs> Half the plane got on before I did, because <laughs> you got the hundred, the hundred k military uh, gold yeah. platinum. Yeah, the diamond, platinum, silver group. Thank you for your service. The thing, the thing that drives me crazy is somewhere along the line, as we became, as the airlines reduced us to our to our most basic, like Bergen Belson <laughs> level oh. of like uh, of mm. human animal. People forgot people people realized that even if they were seated in row thirty four, they could put their bag anywhere. Oh yeah, 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 right. And so all the people loading in the back of the plane get on, they put their they put put their bags in the first available bin. Right, which which might be on row eleven. Because they are gonna have to go by there again on their you way out. You never want to have your bag behind you, but you're more than happy to have your bag in front of you. Yeah. So this is another this is another thing where 
I used to sit in the airport and wait until the, the last possible moment. And I am not, you know, w- when they said, we're going to charge you for the first six rows of coach, we're going to charge you $100 more for the six, first six rows of coach because we're going to give you an inch more of leg room. I was like, okay, you know what? I, t- I turned into Todd Barry. I was like, okay, fine. I'll pay your hundred fucking dollars. Like, whatever. I, y- you've got me, right? I'm just a fucking, I'm just a calf being fatted for slaughter. <laughs> You're just a meat wallet. You're just a yes. big, moist, meaty object that happens to have a little bit of money. Right. Yep. And when they said, now we're going to charge you to sit in the exit row, which is, a, which is a place, a seat which carries with it tremendous responsibility. And we're also going to charge you to adopt that responsibility. And also seats don't recline. I was like, you know what? Fine. Okay, fine. But then I'm sitting in the airport waiting, for the, waiting to be the last person on the plane, enjoying the airport ambience, not yet crammed into the fart tube. And then I am the last one on. I get down to my seat, which I have paid $100 extra for in row one and there's no place for my bag because somebody in row 34 crammed their bag in there on the way by. Yep, there's no there's no attempt at the provenance. They're not trying to detect. First of all, I think they're super fast and loose about what people actually carry on. They have all those onerous signs and shit, but I see so many people oh, yeah. carrying three things on there. And they got like a they got a fucking crate of fruit. Oh, sure, their whole Mary <laughs> Kay cosmetics thing. Mary Kay cosmetics. Yep. Yeah, no, they're not stopping them, which is weird to me. It's almost like they want to see us fight it out Mad Max style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you, then you turn to the to, to the uh, to the flight attendant. And you say, hey, I'm in this seat, and there's no place for my bag. And they look at you like, um, like like you're a child. Like, have you never flown before? Don't you yeah, know you need to run in here and tear people apart? Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Well, you're, you should, you're weak. You know, we called your row a long time ago. The guy said, and I was like. Well, yeah, I know. It's not like you called my row. I mean, I, I get to get on when I want, but apparently there are new rules. Like, this was new, right? Up until five years ago, you, there was a general, there was a social compact yeah. that you put your bag above your own seat. It would never, never, in a, I, can't, I cannot imagine in 1999 someone putting their bag ab- above Unless, you know, unless it was like, well, it never would have happened that you put your bag above somebody else's seat. It never would have happened. It would have, it would have been like, it would have been like you put your underwear on somebody else's head. <laughs> Keep your underwear on your own head. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Merlin, I don't <clears throat> want to turn our great show <clears throat> and this wonderful time that you and I have to spend together yes. into another anti-airline podcast. There are so many of those. Already. That should be, that should be a spinoff. And you and I, you are about to get on an airplane. Yes, so are you, well, are, 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 you, are you driving? Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I bought my flight late, <laughs> and so I actually am in, I'm, I'm in the bathroom area. I had, there was exactly mm. one, one of the San Francisco to PDX flights, uh, it's like row 30-something center seat. But you know, it's, it's like an hour and a half flight. It's, yeah, it's, it's easy. You do it standing on your head. Yeah, yeah, so I'm doing that. It's easy. You just play pocket pool for an hour and a half, and then you're the- <laughs> could I have a blanket, please? <laughs> I'm going. I'm going to XOXO Festival. Um, excuse me. Could I have a fresh blanket, please? <laughs> winky, winky, 
What's that moist? What's that moist scraping noise? Back <laughs> no, that, that's the hydraulics. <laughs> that's not funny. I have shingles. <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, once again, can I ask everybody with uh, with shingles at any point uh, on the plane to please stop servicing themselves under the uh, complimentary blanket? Once again, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, once again. Uh, Once again. Once again. (laughs) Into the breach. Into the breach. When when Morton Joe says that in uh, in Fury Road, it's funny because like I always think of the airlines, you know, because the very, 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 very first words out of anyone's mouth on the plane every time is. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, I just want to remind you that uh, to facilitate a uh, all-time uh, wheels-up uh, takeoff, we're going to everybody go ahead and uh, uh, please move out of the aisle as soon as possible. And also, 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 here's the, you know what, fuck this. We're not going to talk about planes. I also hate how they have to have two words for everything. You mm. can't get up until you come to a full and complete stop. Mm-hmm. Full and complete. Right? I got a whole list of these. I believe yeah. I've written I have written these down. I, I bet I, you have. Let me hear them. I, no, I wrote some short fiction about this one time. Yeah, about, about the about the use of of uh, two words to describe everything. Oh God, what are some of the other ones? Uh, but the, yeah, there's a lot of redundancy on a plane. Anyway, never, I don't want to talk I've about never, that. I've Not, never read your fiction. I feel like this is some. This is a. This, this is new to me. I didn't. <laughs> there's a reason for that. <laughs> I won't even read my fiction. Woo! I thought about this the other day. Why don't you write fiction? There was a time when you were young. You tried to write fiction. You wrote fiction all the time. Sure, everybody wrote fiction. But uh, but it's not. It's just not in me. Oh my goodness! It's uh, whoo! You know, it's like, uh, yeah, it's a lot of work, and who really wants to read it? Yeah, right. You sit down and you're like, um, <clears throat> uh, Maisie Glotz lives <laughs> in a neighborhood in a house. It should always open with weather. That's the thing. Always open with weather. Maisie Glotz looked out upon the rain, the pounding rain, the American scene. <laughs> No, crumple, 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 throw. It's become uh, like poetry uh, at this point. You know, like, I, I made my piece as a young verse uh, smith that, you know, the only people who read poems are other poets. And uh, I know it's not entirely true of fiction today, but it kind of feels that way sometimes. That it's just other fiction writers reading Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Can I tell you what I did this morning? Because I'm yes. sitting here, I'm in, a, <laughs> I'm in a lot of pain right now. Oh, no. <laughs> you know what I did? What, what, did you I, sit on a hat pin? <laughs> in my dreams. Uh, no, I pulled a muscle in my neck opening a curtain. Wow. And it's a, it's an easy curtain. It's like a real light curtain. All I did was whisk it away with, with a kind of like zen-like certainty, like a whoosh. <laughs> and, I, and I whipped a little bit too hard, and now I can barely move my head. Did, did, uh, did, did your children gather around and put your, uh, your clear plastic carapace on with your... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they spray they spray your... some stuff on me. I guess that's probably that's probably sunscreen they spray on him, huh? Strap, strapped into your fifty nine Cadillac. Face uh, my metals. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be so great if my daughter would would put me in a in a plastic carapace and pin my non existent metals to me. Yeah, and then just be like, "You are Chrome." No, shining Chrome. She's already at school. So you see that you saw the movie, huh? What are you talking about? Yeah, I went to see, I went to see the movie the other night mm. again. Mm. At the Cinerama, oh Paul, nice! Paul, Paul Allen's uh, Paul Allen's Inner Life made outer, and uh, it was like a midnight show, and I was driving around the lonely streets, pretty much exactly like Glenn Fry in um, 
Joshua Tree? No, and we belong to the night. Oh, you belong to the city. You know, the steam coming out of the, the steam holes. Oh, very just, uh, c- 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 cinematographic. It was cinematographic. I was driving around the town all by my lonesome, just just looking at the night crawlers. And I was like, there's the Cinerama. Oh, they're playing uh, a Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, there's a midnight show. Oh, I'm going to go. And I pulled in and I went and saw it by myself in the middle of the night. Oh, my God. And uh, it's, uh, yeah. It's, uh, it's. I'm watching it over and over now. I'm at the watching it over and over stage. I know. Me too. I, and I, <clears throat> you can tell when I really like a movie because I'll watch it over and over or I'll watch it. When I first got my hands on a copy, I was watching it twice a night, uh, oh. which is weird. Every, Wait, you got your hands on a copy? How do you do that? No, you can't. But right. as soon as the movie would end and, you know, he'd give that little nod and then little elevators going and you're like, I'm like, that's it. And I would just turn it back on again. Now you can tell I really like it because I'll start like partway through. Mm. Well, I'll jump. I'll jump straight to the like the last act, or you know, I don't know. I just want to watch that. Du- I want to watch that dust storm. Oh man, sequence. I have talked about this uh, movie a lot in a lot of places, so I don't want to overdo it. But there is something just spectacular about it, and I, I'm st- I still am amazed. And and watching the behind the scenes stuff again, I've talked about this a lot too. What but like mean, behind the scenes stuff, where are you getting all this extra m- material? Well, you can get Is this the, something that you torrented? I don't know what that is. Also also go, avoid torrents, they're dangerous. Did you go on the onion? Oh, I went Are on, you the, on I, the deep web. I watched a, a Netflix movie about the dark net. Uh, the dark the dark web. Is what did what it's it called? tell you? Did it tell it told you not to go into it? It was weird cuz it was really more about Silk Road. It, it was it oh, was okay. meant to be so it's directed it's directed by Bill and Ted. Bill, well, Ted Bill, oh, yeah. Bill directed it and Ted uh, uh is the narrator. Uh-huh. And it's mostly about Silk Road. Alex Cox did this. And uh, is that his name? Or is that the guy that did Sid and Nancy? Am I confused? Uh, Alex Winter. Alex Winter. Alex, Alex Winter. Yeah. So anyway, uh, it was good. And it was really sad. It was super sad. I learned that it's the Silk guy... Road. Get ready for this. Guess what? Yeah. Turns out, I, I, at one point, they showed... They, they said this guy lived in West Portal. And oh. they showed a flash. And turns out, he was living in a place that I go by all the time. That's just about half a mile from my house. Wow. Did you go knock on the front door of his no, it's box? No, it's, 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 I've always known this place to be totally sketchy. It has a real Russian mobster feel. Yeah. You know, where the, if you're leaving from my house, you take the L and you make that right turn onto 15th yeah. by the butcher shop. And there's this, this place on the corner. Sometimes it's a beauty salon. Mostly it's just a lot of guys out front smoking going, go, it's coffee, bro. Yeah, yeah, right. And so, right, yeah, he, right he totally, he had a sublet there. He was, they he had a fake name. And that's where the Silk, Silk Road guy lived for a while. Oh, wow. What a crazy... Have you watched that movie? It's crazy. No, it's, because, you know, after my, after my several years on 4chan... Yeah, oh boy. I, uh, I, I purposely ejected myself from uh, the seedy underbelly of the internet and uh, never to return. It was... Uh, you know, there was a there was a while there where I was like, "Listen, I am not going to go gently into this good night. Mm-hmm. I'm going to rage, rage against the dying of the light. Mm-hmm. I am going to know about all of the dark corners." This is your because, your, your Pete Townsend research. Right, well, be, you know, <clears throat> I was not. Uh, well, just I, just that I, you I were putting your nose. Any, no, no, that you were putting your nose into a lot of dark corners. Because up until the up until the internet. I, tr- I, I tried as a young person to know 
all of the dark corners of life that I could stomach firsthand, right? I went into the actual door of places that, that, uh, that repelled me because I didn't want to be somebody that didn't know uh, the limits of, at first I thought the limits of human experience and then I realized I was never, I was not capable of exploring the limits of human experience but I was capable of exploring the limits of my own, my own limits as far as um, like where I became not just uncomfortable, but where I became uh, where I felt like under siege or, you know, I would, I would go do, I would subject myself. You're, you're pushing your own limits as well as discovering the, how far other people had gone. Yeah. Right. And so like, could I participate in rough trade? No. Could I witness rough trade? Yeah. And, and, uh, and that was part of how I was trying to make myself. So when, it, when a lot of that went to the internet, I was like, well, I have to, you know, I can't let it go. I can't let there be worlds that I don't know about. Yeah. I mean, there are certainly corners of the world I prefer not to know about, but there can't be worlds I don't have any knowledge of. And so, yeah, I went, I went in there like, who... Who's in here? You know, slam open. Hello, who's in? And then I was like, "Oh shit!" Yeah. And uh, and then I was, then I was quiet and sitting on a hard stool, in what I hoped was an unnoticeable corner of a place where I was like, a lot of this, a large percentage of this is fake. But some F- fake or of- fake or heavily exaggerated. Yeah, it's like anything on the internet. Like it doesn't cost anything for a 16-year-old to uh dummy up a a world and you just and you just see that it doesn't it doesn't hold water. Um and I'm not somebody that can can say like, "Oh, that's been shooped or whatever." But enough of it is enough of what I saw was just like, you know, indisputably true and 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 I knew about it you know I knew about it in my in my mind's eye I had read accounts but on the on the internet you see, you can see it you can pay for it you know and I was like um oh right so it is ultimately like kind of limitless what humans can do and do do I didn't I guess I needed that confirmed. Yeah. Because you don't because you don't think about it and there are always there were always doors that I didn't go. You know, you go into the door and there's a bunch of guys sitting around and you go through the second door and there's a fewer guys and they're then they make you uncomfortable and then there's a third door and the question in everybody's eyes is like you're going to go through the third door and most of the time you say, "No, as a matter of fact, thank you." Yeah. This second door was enough for me. Makes me feel weird already. I'm out of here. But, uh, but so, yeah, Silk Road, it just seemed like, oh, yeah, a bunch of people buying ecstasy on the internet. But some of that, some of that, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there are, there are a variety of, well, you know, I don't want to get too deep into it, but I mean, there's, I think there's a lot of, a lot of good, valid, and noble, even noble reasons for wanting to say, hey, look, 
not everybody needs to know what I'm doing all the time. Yep. And I, I think of all the edgy stuff going on in the world today. I think that's pretty excusable to say that like, Hey, you know what? The only way that something like that obfuscation through Tor works is if you use it for everything. If you only, if you have, if you have a house, if you have a room in your house where you go only to masturbate, then that's going to get known as the masturbation room. Like that's just going to happen. But if you, if you, um, um, office, Merlin <laughs> office, it's called a studio. It's called, a, it's called the studio. That's right. <laughs> it's my, it's a private studio. Could I have a fresh blanket, please? Um, that's my studio. Uh, look, just nobody goes into my studio. That's where I have all my figure figurines, action figurines arranged on the shelves. <laughs> action figurines. I like the idea of like Hummels or Yadros of Deadpool. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. sure. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. I, I feel like I have. I'm such an old man in this sense, where I I can't help but believe that anything that you expose yourself to repeatedly on purpose will eventually have some kind of an effect on you. Not, you know, no, Merlin, video games do not cause violence. <laughs> I'm not even saying that. I, I'm saying that, like, you know, you can just look, look no further than anybody who's in, like, you know, look at the career longevity of people who do stuff like, you know, child protective services or homicide or, or anything like that. Um, just what you have to... Huh? He's been doing homicide for 20-plus years now. Who has? Richard, Richard Belzer. Oh, nice <laughs> teeth. Both of those guys. They they never get tired. No. <clears throat> no, they um they're made of tougher stuff. But, you know, uh and I think of this even as like and I, I, I obviously I don't know exactly what you're talking about, but I can guess it's a lot of probably about human suffering and grossness. And I mean, we've all been interested in things, whether even if it's just something like Research Magazine, where you're like or you know what I mean, or those those trade paperbacks of research where you're like, "Wow, it's amazing. This guy wants to hang from hooks. That's got to be one of the most out there things I've ever seen. But like, if you expose yourself to, you know what? I just I sound like a dingling. I just I just think I got I try to be careful about what I expose myself to too often because it will have an impact. Even if that impact is now I'm a nerd toward you know how how base people can be, and I start imagining everybody's like that, which they're not. No, no. I mean, the the horrible stuff is all the stuff where it's like, you know, if it, the research stuff was all very mind expanding at the time. The 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 idea that somebody would want to hang from their nipples. Um, yeah, what's that guy's Bob? What's his name? The super masochist. You remember him? Sure. What's um, Bob? What's his name? But he was everywhere. He was like the patron saint of research, right? Yeah, and that was that was that was. Those were fun times and interesting times, but what what it was, all because it was consensual. Access. It was like I right. choose I choose to put a hula hoop in my nipple. Like that's the thing I do. Yeah, the internet gives you access to all those people whose whose pleasure is to cause suffering to other people who aren't volunteer volunteering, and that's um, that's the stuff where you're just like, oh, there's no limit to that. Like the depravity, we we all there's the, there's this crazy thing in our in our culture and i'm i suffer from it too which is that that morbid fascination with serial killers and um you know and serial killers become a kind of proxy for all of the worst of us and you know and it, it it's amazing that hundreds of thousands of people have read detailed accounts of what ted bundy did right um like I don't know, millions of people maybe have. 
and and <clears throat> what Gary Ridgway did, like read those accounts and <clears throat> mold them over and turn them ar- ar- over in their minds and said like, wow, like awful, but also like not so awful that I didn't buy and read this book about it or, or like so awful in fact that I bought and read this book about it. It's a, it's a little bit, I have to be honest, it's a little bit pornographic because I've, I've found myself drawn to that too. And it's why I sometimes ask myself like, like, you know, whether it's that horrible picture of the little boy drowned on the beach that we've all recently seen, or whether it's a documentary about the Holocaust, I, I do try to catch myself and go like, is this, how much of this is empathetic? How much of this is educational? How much of this is just purely sensationalistic and verging on pornography? Well, and that's that's what's so crazy because, I mean, we've talked about the Nazis a lot and the Holocaust a lot, but but you know, the amount of time I've spent imagining what it was like to – what it was like from the standpoint of almost everybody at Auschwitz, like the the people who were running it, the people who were – you know, going into the showers, the people who were clearing out the showers. Right. And and all by way of in some ways understanding what what we are and it and it informs this worldview that I have that like like civil not just civilization but but good and evil um rights and and rules you know they're all systems that we are that we impose upon ourselves and more or less are living according to voluntarily and and they you know like don't don't believe that the dark side is kept at bay by rules the dark side is framed by rules yeah without rules you couldn't make the dark side scalable but but you know but what what 4chan and what the tor and what the what what the deep web showed me was that like the banal the banality of it but also that isn't even descriptive like bundy was not unusual even and <clears throat> you know and there's just there's just suffering on uh, on top of suffering in this world um suffering that like suffering that we are imposing on people suffering in the form of you know the the just millions and millions of people living in in conditions that are are not unimaginable they're very imaginable they're witnessable and yet somehow we compartmentalize those things such that we are able to be so mad about Apple customer service or so <laughs> mad about the airlines, you know, and, and, um, you know, and, and you can, you can be sitting on an airline so mad about your treatment and open a book where the book is detailing scenarios where bodies are piled upon bodies and you're just like, oh, my goodness, grotesque. You know, that was 
60 years ago or or that's happening right now but in Burma or that's happening right now but in basements all across Russia or something but Mike but uh, excuse me miss miss my I need more ice in my <laughs> in my uh free soda here and I, and it just it's something that I can't ever I can't ever get a purchase on reality, I guess. There is no reality. And there's only my reality, my present reality. And, um, you know, and maybe that's why I'm up at 4.30 in the morning, stacking angels on the head of a pin. Yep. Could be part of it. I don't know. I, you know, I also wonder sometimes how much of it is a form of chasing the dragon, which you've described as that feeling of, especially with heroin, of the first the first high you get from that, you'll never really replicate without increasing the amount, but it still won't really be the same. And it's like you can't really you can't really replicate that. And I wonder if there's just if part of it is that you become one becomes slightly addicted to something that makes you seem to feel more strongly than you've ever felt before. That you know, and I'm putting this in really simple terms because I think there is something to be said for educating yourself about all kinds of stuff in the world that's not savory. Just knowing about it doesn't mean you agree with it, but there is stuff that everybody needs to know about, even stuff that's not particularly nice. Um, now, do you need to spend five hours a night on that? I don't know. And it depends on what we're talking about, I guess. But I also think part of it just might be that, I don't know, and, and this might sound old-fashioned, but I think that the more what you're generally calling rough trade, the, the more kind of shocking stuff that you expose yourself to, the more you want to see. And that doesn't just have to be Bob Flanagan super masochist. That could also be like, wh- how much crazier is Kanye West going to get? This guy's a nut and I have an opinion about it. And it seems, I think all of that serves a kind of addiction, uh, a, a kind of addictive personality that people have. It's just that it may find more or less objectionable uh, outcomes, but I think there's, there's something to to a lot of people where they're always looking for that next thing that's na- going to make them feel this charge or get this dopamine hit. And it becomes very difficult to pull yourself away from that. And you mm-hmm. find yourself seeking something that makes makes you feel stronger and stronger until it can become consuming. Mm-hmm. Is that is that is that does that sound like a crazy anti-pornography kind of stance? I don't mean it that way, but it no. kind of sounds it sounds like what people would say about pornography. I think it's <clears throat> I think it's important for all of us to recognize when we are in an unhealthy relationship with any any kind of external source of stimulation. Yeah, any stimulus, right? If if you are especially just, anything outside of us where like you like the reason you don't you don't take fucking cold pills cuz you don't want that, right? I mean, anytime where we're the whatever dragon we're chasing, there's something out there that we know is potentially capable of giving us a certain kind of surprisingly strong stimulation. Yeah, it <clears throat> and it ends up being anytime you've been in the hospital where you had a morphine drip and you and you see that you know you've got a button you can push the button and give yourself morphine when you're in pain but the nurses have some governor on it it's not just unlimited um but there's a big difference between the people that sit and wait until they have kind of when, when they can feel the pain is becoming unendurable and then they push the button versus the people that are just like waiting for the button to re-up you know they're pushing it all the time and that <laughs> waiting for the re-up you know and that is in our culture the whole game 
I mean, everybody out there is waiting for us to, you know, everybody out there is trying to provide us another opportunity to re-up, re-up with Star Wars, re-up with the next episode of The Americans, re-up with uh, the cool new, you know, the cool new shoes that you deserve because you're, because you work hard, the, you know, the re-up, the the buying and the and the pleasing yourself and the pleasuring yourself and and to resist it when it comes from all corners because your minister on sunday is also like providing a version of it and your parents are providing you versions of it and it's the we have turned it into we've fetishized consumption in all walks of life so that to you know to say i've had enough pie i've had a you know no thank you i don't need seconds is not just like to potentially offend the host but to be a radical uh like a, uh, a like to be seditious almost to say no thank you no i do not want I, I cannot, I cannot join in the excitement about the new Star Wars, not because <clears throat> I'm not kind of excited about the new Star Wars, but because there are too many opportunities for it to, there, uh, you know, too many opportunities for that kind of stimulation to, to own me. Yeah, yeah. Because you're an INFJ, right? Yeah. <laughs> Again um, with the pie. <laughs> Um, again with the pie, right? <clears throat> no, but like that was a, I was using pie in a different way in that. Method. Yeah, no, no. I, I, <laughs> I heard the word pie go by and I was like, oh shit, pie. But wait, it's a different, I'm talking about a different thing. But the, I, but the I, thing. I get that with video games. That's me and video games. We're like, I, I, I have come to realize that video games can be very special and awesome, but I, I don't. I don't mean this in a disparaging way, but I don't want that in my life because for me to get to the level where I could really enjoy it the way my friends enjoy it would take so many hours and days and weeks, which I might really enjoy, but all I can think about is what I won't be doing mm-hmm. when I'd be doing that. And it's an attractive, it says the same in law, it's an attractive nuisance. Mm-hmm. Like if I have that in the house, I'm either going to feel bad about the fact that I paid $500 for this game box and don't use it, or I'm going to feel terrible about the amount of, amount of time I spend on my $500 game box. Neither of those for where I am mentally right now or emotionally right now is going to make me feel good about that right but but there's the other like the danger i think in seeing because i'm not somebody that sees tyranny uh it as a as a conspiratorial you know like a like i'm not worried about outside forces uh with a gun to my head forcing me to kneel and eat the gruel (laughs) you're not worried about being colonized no, as much as I'm worried about that process of, of voluntary submission mm-hmm. and all of the, all of the small go- government libertarians up in Montana who are worried about Obama's jackbooted thugs are strange to me because they are all like greedily gulping at the teat of whoever the prov- the service providers of their own mythology and products and they are buying into and and buying with money all of the 
accoutrements of their cult thinking with no with no self awareness, right? There hmm. and and that stuff is the real that that's where your mind is really colonized, where you you know they are they are the rats tapping on the red button that's that, uh, that's satisfying their urge to feel persecuted um but so i'm not worried about about the about the atf coming through the door i'm worried about the uh, you know, to what degree i am um self medicating by my consumption of uh and and, and I, i'm not Serial killer porn isn't what I'm worried about, and I and I, eventually I'm not sure, or ultimately I'm not sure what I am worried about, because I guard myself so carefully against ever, um, becoming a, um, like a consumer. But and so, but but, but that becomes a, a strange kind of addiction the the addiction of like denial and discomfort and like hmm. no i will not <clears throat> i will not watch this again even though i want to because i don't want to become a, a prisoner to it and and so what what ends up happening is I, I remember i used to get into arguments at the university of washington all the time where i was or when i got back from long long stays in germany and tried to convince people that there is nothing in contemporary Germany that would, that w would indicate the Holocaust. There's nothing in contemporary Germany that would give you um, special insight into what happened there 70 years ago. Uh, you, you cannot detect it. You can't detect it in Germans. You cannot detect it in the ground. Is this, or in, is this where you're talking about like how swastikas have been chipped off the bridges and stuff? Yeah, but the swastikas have been chipped off of the bridges of their minds too. Like whatever it was, whatever it was that was in the the Germans is not visible uh, in in being friends with Germans, in interacting with Germans. It's not you don't. You don't go to Germany and say, "Oh boy, I see." It's just they're just they're just playing nice right now. Um, but if the opportunity arises, they're all going to become monsters again. Like that is not the case. They are as committed to liberal democracy there as anyone in the world, and are just as humane as the most like. Uh, they are just as committed and just as um, there's nothing in their character that suggests it. And so what that says to me is that it is in all of our character all the time. They are not just pretending to be liberal Democrats there. They are deeply liberal Democrats. And so that's not the evidence you know, and the fact that it didn't happen in Sweden doesn't make the Swedes superior to the Germans morally or, or otherwise. And so it's that, that um, impulse to slaughter and that impulse to be ridded of impurity and the impulse to systematize 
not just murder, but to systematize um, inhumanity mm-hmm. is in us all, not even really dormant, but just being exercised in different ways. You know, it's being it's being satisfied in different ways. And so it's all of our responsibility to recognize it in ourselves in those small ways and say, listen, I am the Holocaust is in me. I could commit this. I am not one of the ones who would have stood stood up and said, no, I am absolutely one of the ones who would have drawn the blinds and said, oh, I'm not sure what the smell is that's coming from the forest. Right. You know, and, and that acknowledgement and the recognition that, it, that it, you know, it always starts, you know, the, the, the arguments that we have about like violent movies don't cause violence and, and violent video games don't cause violence. And it's such a, it's such a thing on the internet that if you're on the wrong side of it, you're like, you're some PMRC anti-pornography yeah, some, kind of a, some kind of a scold a scold like you're saying and 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 in fact like those things no they do not cause violence they are outlets for this inc- this tremendous violence that's in us all and that's the thing we should always be looking at and thinking about and where because so i mean so many people in my experience refuse to acknowledge the violence that's in them at all. And, and so when violence a- arrives on the scene, even in the form of like confrontation about something in a, in a Starbucks line, there's all this like, oh, everyone's so appalled. Um, because we're all, we're also basically civilized. Because we're civilized now, and yeah. like any amount of violence, any raised voices or angry looks are this like terrible assault, and and we're um, and we should be above it. But in fact, like we each of us and all of us are complicit in murder every day. That's that's why. I didn't want to interrupt you, but this is what keeps every, – everything you're saying gets me thinking about something that feels like an elephant in the room. You're describing a Germany where – like we think about most Americans and most Americans – a lot of Americans definitely when I was growing up with memories of World War II, the – depending on how you measure it, um, what would that be? The you know 16 to 20-some years that the Nazis had some kind of power. And, and, and weren't, they weren't just, they were not just dictating, that they had actually, you know, they had the support of industry and people. But, but that was, what was that? That was maybe, maybe 20 years. And yeah, we still, even. we still think of, yeah, right, maybe really 15, 16 years. And now we still think of like, oh, Germany, they were the Nazis. But what you're describing is a country where it is not simply a matter of having, trying, trying to obliterate the past, but trying to like actively evolve to be different people. While at the same time, you know, I'll be that guy. We give ourselves a pass for 400 years of slavery and uh, probably two or 300 years of, of slaughtering natives and all kinds of other stuff where, like, we give ourselves a pass for that and we look, look old, shush, shush. We look at all these places where people are treated really badly. But we don't ever – it isn't as though we stop to pause whether that monster is still in us. We know that monster is still in Germany because they were the bad guys in World War II. But while it may have happened – 
the the worst parts of that kind of racism and colonialism may have happened over 150 years ago in our case we were pretty good at it and institutionalized it way beyond what the germans did we were able to make entire industries out of having slaves <laughs> it was a business we talked about it there was no there was no attempt to erase the record of that or burn the books that showed who'd been sold to whom whose child had been sent to another state there was no attempt to cover that up because it was evolving so slowly and now now, today we look at that, oh, that's ancient history. But I guess what I'm trying to ask partly is, first of all, I guess two parts. I mean, isn't it fair to say we've all still got that monster? And then, and, and second of all, do you think we have made the same effort as a modern German would to try and actually evolve past your, your historical monster? Because it you sounds know, like we aren't. I, the, <clears throat> I, think the, I think the scale of time, it's so, it's so funny that a human life is, what, 90 years? And in the course of 90 years, like, it's the, it's the totality of reality, uh, right? We, we don't really know that anything that happened before us actually happened. Right. I mean, there are some buildings standing around that you, you presume were built before you were born, but it all seems a little unreal uh, that anything happened before you, I've never been. That, I've never been to Nicaragua, but I assume it's real. I've read. Yeah, right. I've read a lot about it. I've never been there either, but I assume it's real. I've seen pictures in books, but you know, ninety years is the that's the whole of our real firsthand experience, and so it seems everything seems so important to us, and we are so um, we're so concerned with with a year and five years. And 15 years, but really that, you know, like almost, almost nothing that happens in 15 years really, you know, it really matters or, or it, it, it's sort of the great man theory of history, right? That, that one person can have this tremendous effect, but the more you zoom out, the more you realize it's just waves of of uh events and there there and it's kind of a myth that that um that even Hitler really had that much of an effect if you if you zoom out and look at it on a on a certainly on a thousand year timeline but a you know on a 10,000 year timeline like it just disappears and and I I think about this a lot in it and it gets me in in trouble because like you, you read the thing not very long ago where the, the current thinking is that the trauma of the Holocaust actually is encoded genetically. Oh, right. Yeah. In, in the survivors, uh, in the next generation. And you said, if that's true, it basically, it changes a lot of what we know about history. It changes. It absolutely changes history. But at a certain point, like it, it, in the immediate scale, it changes it because it means like, oh, right, the African-American population of the United States has a genetic memory of 400 years of slavery. Like the Holocaust happened uh, not in 15 years. The Holocaust l largely happened in two years. Right, right. 
And if that it was like they had they had they had eighteen really strong months, but it it was not. We it, you cannot just overlay that with the war. I mean it. It was really well. I'm, not, I'm certainly, absolutely not trying to minimize it, but it, it, the the really when the Holocaust or the uh, the Final Solution, I should say, really got going. I mean, it, it wasn't more than two or three years, really, right? No, it started in '42. Um, if that left a, a genetic imprint on the on surviving generations, then slavery, I mean was reinforced and reinforced through generation and generation and generation. And if that's true, then, you know, then there's something that, then there's a genetic record that has been that, you know, that then starts to be part of natural selection, right? People are passing that down and passing the reinforcement of it down in generations. But if that is true, you don't have to zoom out very far to say, well, that is true of every single person on earth. Like the, the, just in the historical record, you can go back and find like, well, the Scots were brutalized by the English. The, you know, the, the Thai people are only in Thailand because they were chased out of China uh, 2,000 years ago. Chinese and, got Chinese got some pretty bad treatment from the Japanese, right? The, right? And so and so and the you know the the Mongol hordes that swept through Eastern Europe over and over and over again, um, you know, just wiping out cultures after cultures, and so then you look at every single human group, and you find in their history, like incredible trauma, incredible trauma inflicted on them as a group, not just individual people. And then when, when you factor in that every single family has like a, probably unmeasurable trauma in their past. Yeah. I mean, just, like, I mean, just think about even, you know, so, so we, we try to measure these, these kinds of, um, uh, tragedies by the number of people who died and not you can't even really how do you begin to take into account the secondary effects of like all the people you knew who were affected by it or the people who let's just be honest the people who were killed as part of that but then let's say you you know just having just the ptsd of having lived through that uh at all even if you came out of it with most of your stuff and your family alive can you still even imagine the ptsd of of getting through that experience quote unquote unscathed you're not unscathed like you'll be scarred forever by that experience well sure and 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 i mean imagine surviving a famine where where you watch your children die and you watch your your parents die and you watched your you watch your loved ones die and you survive somehow uh, if if trauma is encoded in our genes we like our forefathers all of us uh, survived like exponential compounded trauma. It's the story of humanity. So this is the same people who passed in the Holocaust also were their, their grandparents were the victims of pogroms. Right. And, and, and back and all, all the way, you know, and, and everyone. So trauma. So at that point <clears throat> it isn't news because we're all, baked out of trauma and 
and so that is the human story. We we are we all of us have it. Um, there the number of people who can go back uh, five hundred years and say no. As a matter of fact, for the last five hundred years, I come from uh, I come from royal stock, and we have all and we we've done nothing but eat the fat of the of the lamb for for 500 years and it's like really you didn't have there was nobody in that family that got early onset alzheimer's disease and and t- turned a generation uh into like like traumatized a generation um, and and even so that presumes that 500 years of good times erases the 50,000 years of trauma that <laughs> right. preceded it. You guys right? had a pretty, pretty good run there for a while. Right? That, that, <laughs> that genetically uh, good times kind of get encoded in there too. And I mean, I presume that they, they must, right? If trauma, if trauma f- shows up in the genetic record, then, then good times and lands aplenty must too. And so it does. It changes our understanding of history. It changes our understanding of ourselves. But there's no group of people that can say, that they have a uh, that 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 they have some kind of lock on on trauma. We we just we can see that there are groups in recent history, in recent memory, who say like, yes, I personally experienced trauma, or my grandmother did. But um, but it all you know, it's all part of the the ones and zeros that make up our whole selves. And so right now we're engaged in this civilizing project that's been happening since the end of World War II where we've changed the definition of what civilized is and we've, we've all agreed more or less you know, on this kind of like what we'd like it to look like. But within America, obviously, we have, we have two major different versions of what that looks like. Um, and now we're engaged in this like rooting out of, of heresy and this, this presumption that we can clean ourselves of our impulses to be predatory, clean ourselves of our impulses to be to hurt one another and to, to uh, be greedy and be xenophobic and, and to live in fear and to act in fear. And we can, we can clean that behavior out of us and, and walk into this future we imagine where we're kind, where our natures are kind and where unkindness isn't you know we go through a we go through this difficult birthing period where unkindness isn't tolerated in order to achieve a world where unkindness doesn't occur to us and that's a you know that is a major thought experiment first and and i don't have i i don't i'm not sure that it works that way so that's the that's the difficulty I get into looking at history and 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 going on the 4chan and uh, and trying to understand people is just that 
you know, what is our project? Is it to be, is it to, is it to cleanse ourselves and become good? Sadly, that was the impulse the Nazis had too. And that was the, and that's always been the impulse of all the awful things that we've done in, in the last 400 years. (laughs) Never thought of it that way. Is like, we want to clean ourselves and get, to the you know and get to a place where the where the dirtiness doesn't reappear and we're doing it again now and you know and I'm not comparing it to the to the holocaust <laughs> but what what's our you know what what do we see what gives us what is the evidence that we can be cleansed that way and and without that evidence, like what's another way of looking at it? What's an alternative goal where we stop imagining that we can rid ourselves of evil and stop imagining that we can rid ourselves of violence and start imagining how we can accept those things about ourselves and incorporate those things into, into a true clear-eyed understanding of of what kind of animals we are but uh, but nobody seems to engage in that project because you know to presume to presume that we're that we can't be perfect is to uh, so many people are just like well if we can't be perfect then i don't want to i don't want to play um if we if we can't be perfect then that means too much that means that's there there's too much potential ugliness and so so instead i prefer to believe that we can be perfect and 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 that begins that should begin with my neighbors mm. <laughs> that perfect that pr- impulse to perfect people is going to start with me trying to perfect my neighbors and it's just like, oh, here we go again. Hmm. I did pull a muscle in my shoulder. <laughs> Where's my parade? You're fucking getting old. You're falling apart right in front of us, Merlin. I already cut the show. You can't hear it. That'll never air. Can I please get a fresh blanket over here? Yeah.